gentlemen, can I please have your attention? And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Show. Things really suck, but you know what? If it wasn't for me, they would suck worse. Uh, What are you talking about? What do you mean by that? Robert Scott Bell. No family making less than $250,000 a year will see any form of tax increase. That's a lie. That's just an outright lie. Why don't you tell the people the truth for a change? Robert Scott Bell. Bell. I don't know why people on the other side are so doggone stupid that they think that the federal government's going to produce jobs. Stupid is, stupid does, sir. I want to see that we guarantee that this generation is healthier. You you want to go to a natural path or a homeopath? No, no, no. That's not approved by the government. Taking on bureaucrats and corporations that would stand in the way of health freedom. The voice of health, freedom, and liberty, Robert Scott Bell. Is there a doctor in the house? Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. Advanced medicine kicks into gear right now, and we are spanning two days. At, well, this has become a usual thing, but it's only two weeks in a row. Dr. Batar, how are you from the future? I am doing very well. Thank you, Robert. How are you? Uh, I'm doing well as well. And I was just thinking about uh, Valentine's Day. We just had that up here. I don't know. Is that a global phenomenon, New Zealand at Valentine's Day too? You know, they didn't really um, make a big deal of it over here. I, of course, wish my wife a happy Valentine's. And we were at uh, a dinner, and everybody was like, oh, today's Valentine's? Yeah. And so it's not celebrated. They don't commercialize mm-hmm. it. But, yes, they... They recognize it, and they, I guess they celebrate it, but nobody else seemed to know that it was Valentine's Day. I didn't hear about it in the news. I didn't see it in the media. Right. It's not as commercialized. Uh, it's interesting. I think maybe they just th- like throw kiwis at you or something on Valentine's Day. Well, it's interesting. You know what Valentine's is celebrating? It's actually the memorial of a, of a massacre, right, in the... Uh... Well, there is a Valentine's Day massacre within history. That's true. I don't know that that's the celebration, the reason for it. I, I never I never knew what, what the basis of it was. I thought it was actually the... Cel- I thought that's what it was. It was like a memorial. I guess. I guess if you're a gangster, that would be the reason. You know, Su- Superdon played a song yesterday on our Valentine's Day uh, uh, broadcast, where it talked about the history of an actual saint, but that saint was murdered, and you know. So you, you go through historical fact versus mythology, and how it blows up into what it is today—a greeting card holiday. But what about, as my mom, Grandma Mickey, who you know she loves you, says, you know, what about the other 364 days of the year? One day dedicated to love? Come on. Right, well, exactly. So that's one reason. I knew it was somebody's death, so some some kind of death that Valentine's was celebrating. And and who knows what the real reason is, but the point is how it got contorted hmm. into from somebody's death into a celebration of love. But that's great. Maybe that's what it took. It, somebody lost somebody, and then that's why they started thinking about love. But I agree with your mom. What What's the... What's the relevance of that one day versus the other 364 days? Exactly. Oh, and by the way, speaking of mommy, she was she out dancing again. She's 82. She's on zero drugs. She she had a friend visit from, from Israel, I believe. It had a cold or a flu or something, and she got a little sick for a couple of weeks. And she calls me. She's like, she gets upset if it doesn't clear up instantly. I say, Mom, all right, first and foremost, 
this is a normal part of life. It happens, you, you know, but uh, you're 82 as well. And I don't want to diminish your ability to recover, but give yourself a few minutes here. And then I said, right. and then I said, take a little extra selenium. Cause she was like taking only 50 micrograms. I'm like your, your excretory system, your channels are, are, you know, just like when you're ill, you got to get rid of the debris. And she did the next day. She went out dancing again. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. So I, I love those stories. She says, okay, I should have called you sooner. I said, yes, mom, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Anyway, so uh, happy belated Valentine's Day for all y'all. If you Same didn't you. Get, get, get the show as well yesterday, and we covered a few stories of, of, of uh, very big interest, and one of them, and I, I really wanted you on the air yesterday, but, heck, we got you today, so that's okay. And it was related to a cancer issue, all right? There's a lung cancer drug, and the headline, I was just astonished by the headline. I looked at this, I said, this has got to be made up. Headline, could a lung cancer drug work better with Coke? And it's like not cocaine, but Coca-Cola. And I thought, this is a joke, isn't it? And as I read through this article, it was actually saying that, yes, indeed, Coca-Cola Classic may be the ideal way to take this lung cancer drug, chemotherapy. Why? Because it turns out that most of these lung cancer patients happen to also be on proton pump inhibiting drugs like Nexium and Prevacid or Prilosec. And I'm like, oh, the light goes on for me as it would for you is like okay their idea is let's acidify the stomach because we've blocked the production of stomach acid so it'll absorb but could there be something else that we could learn from this well absolutely so whenever you're an acid pump inhibitor you're going to have a decreased ability of the body to break down foods and digest foods and absorb foods so generally speaking there is an associated mineral depletion there are some people that are naturally mineral wasters anyway and when you add the fact of adding a drug like Prilosec or Prevacid or Nexium or any of these acid pump inhibitors that essentially stop the production of acid because essentially the, the, the thought process is we're producing too much acid, which is not true. We're not producing enough acid, but because a person gets that regurgitation, that uh, gastroesophageal reflux, that indigestion type phenomena, they the doctors will then say, oh, you need more um, buffer to prevent the acid in your stomach from causing this problem. In actuality, it's not the acid that's causing the problem. It's that the food isn't being digested, so it sits in the stomach longer. Mm -hmm. And so that the body's trying to override it. So actually, if you gave yourself a little bit more digestive enzymes, the food would pass, it wouldn't sit in the stomach, and you wouldn't get that reflux. So these acid pump inhibitors are designed to, uh, at the core, stop the parietal cells from actually producing hydrochloric acid to theoretically stop the production of uh, hydrochloric acid or, or digestive components so that the so that the uh, reflux isn't there. So again, we're treating uh, a symptom and not the problem at its cause. Well, that causes a secondary and tertiary uh, mm -hmm. consequence, and those are basically mineral depletion, actually a lack of absorption of food and proper digestion, and then that subsequently leads to a mineral depletion. So now these people are minerally depleted, and why would you find, coming back to the study, why would you find an association of this particular drug getting better efficacy with coca-cola <laughs> well coca-cola has high phosphoric acid and phosphoric acid actually phosphorus is one of the things that we don't normally supplement but we find that people um that don't drink coca-cola or don't drink some of these soft drinks uh, for whatever reason there are certain people that uh have altered calcium metabolism and that altered calcium metabolism is directly related to the phosphoric acid what's happening i believe with the coca-cola is when you take the coca-cola the phosphoric acid is helping 
to reestablish a normal balance of calcium metabolism and ends up helping the body to absorb minerals uh, more effectively. And I believe that's probably one of the major reasons, and there may be others. Well, in in this case, the reason that they are using it is not anything to do with absorption of minerals. That might be a side benefit, if anything, but it's to absorb this cancer cell drug uh, related to lung cancer. Now, how many, for instance, cases of lung cancer if you were to analyze patients, would be minerally deficient in one, two, or ten minerals, for instance. They, they all would be. They all would be. And, and so where is the, you know, you see a clue like this staring you in the face going, wait a second, these people all have cancer. They're also on proton pump inhibiting drugs. Could there be a connection between malabsorption and cancer? But nobody's raising the issue. They're just going, hey, look, Coca-Cola. It's, uh, again, the typical blindness you know um mm. well whether you want to call it blindness assuming that they don't really understand or if they do understand they're just disallowing the existence of reality i guess in a they way. might they might as well pour coca-cola classic in their eyeballs i mean come yeah. on it's right there for them to see it and and you know these deficiencies are, are so very real uh partly you know do and, and is it, even if you drink an acidic thing we know coca-cola can strip the paint off of a car so we're not going to argue it's the ideal mechanism, although you can use anything medicinally if you find out it has something in a, in a crisis that it can do. But the bigger picture is this brings to my mind is that you've got supposedly highly intelligent people with degrees not seeing the forest through the trees in this instance. Yeah, actually, Coca-Cola is used by a lot of uh, police departments and state highway patrol after a motor vehicle accident to get the blood off the roads because it <laughs> ends up helping to get rid of the blood. Well, there you Very go. Very interesting. Yeah, Coca-Cola cleansers. Uh, but they're not the kind of cleansing we talk about for detoxification. This actually, uh, this story is not just made up. It isn't in The Onion. It's actually been published in uh, February 8th in the Journal of Clinical Oncology, right? But they won't, you know, they won't publish something about the role of, uh, I don't know, toxins in the production of cancer, but they'll, they'll publish a study about how Coca-Cola can enhance the absorptive efficacy of a chemotherapy drug directed at lung cancer patients i i again I, i'm just wondering you know, what planet do we live on that this is the main thing that they're publishing yeah it's it's uh again selective things that are published and for certain fear-mongering is part of it uh misinformation is part of it distraction is part of it so the agenda continues to be the same hmm. Well, as, as Led Zeppelin said, the song remains the same, and, and now it, it applies to the stories and the studies. And again, the selectivity in terms of what we're willing to publish. Uh, somebody might have thought, well, this is a cute story. Look, Coca-Cola is doing this. But what about all of these other studies showing the role of toxic poisons and heavy metals impacting on cancer of any and all kinds? And that would, well, we've got to reject that because that might implicate uh, certain industries. And, you know, that's what pays our bills. That's exactly right. Uh, the, the truth sometimes is intentionally covered up, and there are times that I think that they're just not aware, and so they don't really even know what the truth is. But I think in this particular case, and as we evolve as a species and as we evolve in the, in the, in the science of medicine, mm-hmm. we do know better, and there is, I think, direct correlation with a lot of uh, misinformation and, and higher agendas and suspect agendas. Yeah. We got about a minute before our first break here, Dr. Bittar, and I know you're halfway around the world into the next day, but I got to ask you from, I, I like food and I love food from different locales on the planet. Is there anything really intriguing or interesting to you in New Zealand as far as food, fruits, vegetables, or otherwise that most Americans might not know? 
Well, pretty much everybody seems to have a garden here. It seems to be a very conventional mm-hmm. uh, component as opposed to in the U.S. Um, what you talk about on mm-hmm. the show every week, Robert, about yeah. sustainability, I think what I have seen is that New Zealand is more sustainable. For example, every house collects water, or practically every house, I'd say 95% mm-hmm. plus houses collect water from rain uh, from the roof. They have roof catchment systems. It's just a conventional thing. It's not a, sta- it's not a, a green type of thought process it's just standard everybody everybody has it on their house and there are some people that have wells and such but they still have the water containment system because it's a standard part of their construction um so fruits and vegetables yes almost everybody has it mm-hmm. much better well much better setup in an economic uh, collapse of any kind in new zealand and i'd like to encourage my fellow americans to start doing that as well i just uh, pulled a carrot out of the ground it was so big uh, uh, you know you could use it as a billy club and there are ways to grow organically no it wasn't genetically engineered We've got a lot more broadcast healing to do with Dr. Rasha Bittar. Remember, Advanced Medicine each and every Monday together. And MedicalRewind.com, the easiest place to listen to the archives. And there are hundreds of hours waiting for you. We'll be right back. The Robert Scott Rock in the health world through the power of radio. It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. I alluded to the fact that I grew a carrot that's big enough to beat you with, uh, and I didn't genetically engineer the soil, but, but what I did was I made sure that the minerals were available, the soil was healthy, I didn't have to spray anything on it, and my goodness... What came out of the ground was frightening in a good way. <laughs> I mean, you could you could juice that one carrot. You usually have to juice a bag, that one carrot. So, Dr. Batar, I'm very encouraged to hear our friends in New Zealand. Uh, it's part of the culture that everybody's catching rainwater, uh, being efficient with the use of the resources, and growing something at home. Yeah, everybody almost uh, has, a, has a, a fruit trees of some kind, at least in the area that I've been at. Yeah, everybody seems to have fruit trees everybody seems to have a small garden everybody seems to have a, a little herb garden and then of course pretty much you can get uh, things like um, rain-free eggs at pretty much any location you know you don't have to go more than maybe five kilometers to go get mm-hmm. free-range eggs uh, raw milk is still available here um, there's nice. there's a lot of there's a lot of um what would I say? Maybe what the U.S. was like maybe 20 years, 25 years ago. Some people would say it's uh, somewhat still primitive. It's still Middle Earth type. <laughs> I personally find it very refreshing, very clean. Yes. The, the, even the air, you see certain trees with moss growing on them, and that moss is associated with having cleaner yes. air quality. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, it's overall, it's just a cleaner place. Yeah, it's beautiful. Like I said, I, I toured the South Island. I flew into Auckland, but then I ended up touring the South Island many years ago. And it just the, the pristine beauty of, of the natural world that was a little less, uh, let's say, corrupted, I shall say. Uh, so yeah. I'm excited to hear that that's still there. And I look forward to visiting one day again. Now, in terms of, um, I don't know, modern medicine, modern disease, cancer rates, would you say that they're as high there, or is there any way to dis- determine a distinction in terms of the general health of the population you've interacted with? Well, that's an interesting question, Robert. I would say that there are definitely there's a higher rate of cancer here in New Zealand. Now, it's it's interesting. Why is there a higher rate of cancer in New Zealand? And I think a lot of it has to do with um, the number of people that smoke. There are a lot of people that smoke. You would think that that would not be the case, but and I haven't looked at the numbers directly. These are just some things I saw in associate just in passing. Mm-hmm. Um, but the 
the the truth, I guess, is this truth is always simple. Uh, the truth is that you could live in a pristine environment, but if you do the wrong things uh, by things such as smoking, for example, or other types of things like that, you're going to end up having a problem with the body because whether you're talking about the external environment, i.e. where you're living, or the internal environment, the environment of your body and what you're doing to the body, right. that's going to cause problems uh, to occur like that. And, and, of course, smoking is one big problem. And then there's a lot of other components that people may end up um, – some some people may end up associating uh, with a higher incidence of cancer, but I, I think that the majority of it is just the frequency of smoking that I've seen. Um, they are uh, very very sensitive to uh, the trying to stay away from the GMO aspect, but at the same time, a lot of the gardens, for example, people will use they call it spray or they'll say spray free. So they're talking about insecticizing pesticides, for example. Okay. So that's another concern that even though they've got gardens. There, there may be a lot of people that are using insecticides and pesticides for their garden, so there's a higher incidence of... Most people don't have gardens in the U.S., so they don't try to use fertilizers or insecticides and pesticides here because almost everybody has a garden, Right. Um, but they don't realize the importance of staying away from that type. They do have organic produce and such, but sure. there are a lot of people that, that, again, have gardens, but they don't understand the importance of the spray-free, so a lot of people use that. So maybe that's another reason that there's a higher incidence of cancer here. But, but the bottom line is, um, regardless of where you are on the planet, if you don't do the right things, and it's not just one, it's everywhere. You know, you could, you could, have, a, you could have no mouth in your mouth, and you could uh, make sure that you stay away from uh, produce that's uh, not organic and not clean, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but you live close to a coal-burning plant and sure. you're going to be inhaling mercury fumes or so in other words you, it's it's not just one thing to, some people think oh i can work out and i can eat healthy and everything's taken care of but the water quality or the air quality which you may, may not be aware of is going to affect you so it is constant vigilance you know that that uh, quote um the the price of freedom that's right. The price of freedom is constant vigilance. Eternal exactly. vigilance, exactly. Right. Well, the observations are, are very uh, cogent there as well. And uh, it's interesting the way you say it: spray or spray free. It's uh, you know that the vernacular in each country is a little different, uh, even though they do have the term organic. Also, I think New Zealand is one of the two countries, along with the United States, that allows uh, prescription drugs to be advertised. If I'm not mistaken, um, I don't know. I really haven't spent any time watching any television. For the couple of weeks we've been here, but no, I think that it probably is. Uh, it probably is a country that does advertise a lot Allows of advertising it. pharmaceuticals. All right, so you got some ups and downs, but we'll talk about more of that. And we've got some cancer stories I want to cover with Dr. Batar after this break. You're listening to the Robert Scott Bell Show Advanced Medicine Monday version with Dr. Rasha Batar. We'll be back with more after this. Robert Scott Belshaw. Rock in the health world through the power of radio. It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. All right, traveling with a message of healing around the world, Dr. Rasha Bittar, author of the international best-selling book, The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away. And here we go, uh, tomorrow already in New Zealand, and we're together again doing Advanced Medicine Monday and Tuesday simultaneously. So there, take that, Time Lords. <laughs> <laughs> 
I still haven't figured out how to how to predict the lottery tickets, but anyway. Yeah, well, we're going to give you some more chances over time, <laughs> some more opportunities. Now, speaking of cancer, yesterday I covered briefly. I didn't have a lot of time for this story. It's a it's sort of a follow up to a story that I covered earlier in the year. And it was about the turf, the artificial turf, the rubberized turf, the fake grass, etc. That's very popular, not only in professional sports, but now on playgrounds everywhere. It's, it's soft, so it's maybe protecting from acute injury, broken bones and things like that. But there have been some suspicion for some time now that whatever it is, however they're chunking up these tires and converting them in there, there might be certain chemicals that are adversely impacting the health of children. And in this story now where the federal government has has, uh, released like uh, uh, $2 million for an initial study budget to find out what is going on because a number of athletes, kids, are coming down with cancer, as they're saying it. And most of them, in fact, the majority, they say, are soccer goalies, they suspect, playing a lot in that kind of environment, up, down, really close to it. Uh, But, uh, well, if I think about their acknowledgement that toxins may be related to cancer, I still see a lot of cognitive, cognitive dissonance on this. Yeah, there, there is, Robert. I think that, you know, one of the things that we talked about during the break was if they recognize that there's certain things that are being put into the body that are toxic or that could have detrimental effect, um, and they're starting to do investigations and studies on it, then why aren't they recognizing other things that are even more blatant, right? So that cognitive dissonance that you're referring to, yeah. um, I think is very prevalent. Yeah, and in this case, I was just thinking, if they're acknowledging, hey, mate, there's a risk these toxins are being exposed to, they're playing on, right? The, the, uh, one time they, they were spraying um, arsenic-based pesticides into wood that were being used on outdoor like playgrounds, and they said, hey, arsenic, not good. So why is it that they can't go full circle and say, you know what, it's not enough that they're playing on toxins. What about the toxins we're injecting helpless babies with? In the, in the guise of vaccines. That's where I see the biggest disconnect with reality. And that's exactly the million-dollar question. Mm-hmm. What about injectable toxins? Of course, there's another agenda there that we know. Uh, but eventually, they won't be able to stem the uh, a flow of awareness on this issue. As more people start making the same leaps we make here and have been making for years on this show or even before we started the show. Well, a lot of the stuff, you don't even really have to be um, aware. It's just common sense. And in other words, it's not that you have to be highly evolved or you have to have a lot of education or knowledge in this. It's just general stuff. For example, you see something that you can put in a toilet bowl and um, it can clean away all the residue within 45 minutes or they use it on state highways to clean up blood afterwards, and you think, okay, it's, that's, it seems to be pretty caustic. Well, wait a second. Is that the same stuff you're going to pour into your body? Now, believe it or not, there are some benefits of some of those components in there, but it's like the sugar and all these other components and the dyes. So, it, again, it doesn't take a lot of wisdom, knowledge, education. Mm-hmm. Some of this is common sense. You don't walk into a fire or you don't you know, douse yourself with substances that are designed to kill um, bugs on plants. So you would think, well, if it's going to be bad for bugs, um, that I spray one little bit of and it affects that bug. Well, mm-hmm. what if I'm the one who's going around spraying and I'm inhaling that stuff? And surely it can't be that good for me. You see, I mean, maybe I'm just maybe I'm um, 
biased, but <laughs> does that even seem like that it takes a lot of logic to figure out? It's not. But we're, we're living evolution. we're living in the era of the death of common sense, which of course leads to the premature death of those who have not the common sense to know not to walk into a fire, for instance, or not to inject their children with toxic poisons that the government seemingly has an incessant need to mandate or pretend that it's mandated, so so you don't say no. Yeah, and that's the entire point that we all have a brain. God gave us all a brain for a purpose, and. Really, if we don't use our own brains, then we will have to suffer the consequences. Yeah, this is the thing. In no amount of Bernie Sanders socialism or socialized medicine is going to save us from those consequences. Quite the contrary. It's going to impose more of those consequences on us because all it does is grant us mandatory access and participation in a system of medicine that may be good for getting you out of a crisis when Humpty Dumpty falls off the wall. But in terms of chronic disease, they are the prime facilitators of it with the first injection at birth. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And that's the key that our forefathers saw. I mean, I don't know how they saw all this in the future. I don't know how they, where they got their crystal balls from. But they saw these types of situations occurring 250 years before they're occurring. Because exactly what you just said, Thomas Jefferson's quote, when uh, people allow the government to dictate the foods they put in their mouths and the medicines they take into their bodies, their souls will soon be in the same sorry state as those who live under tyranny. And that's exactly what you're talking about you know, 250 years later. It's amazing to me when I study history and I look at what they said and how they set up the Bill of Rights and, and how they were able to foretell the the issues that would arise today, even down to the health aspects. You know, we talk about uh, the Second Amendment and freedom to bear weapons, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. But even down to the health and food aspect, they had set in rights to, to safeguard our rights, actually. They had set in um, um, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, to safeguard those rights for us. Mm-hmm. And we are just spitting in the face of those uh, 250-year-old um, guidances and mm-hmm. and uh, safeguards that were set up to prevent us from having these problems that we're having currently in society. Oh, definitely. And, and I look at back at this, uh, this thing that stimulated our discussion here. Uh, it was published in the Orange County Register about the risk and the potential lengths of these artificial turfs and athletes, kids in particular. And we begin to see these links. And then they could plausibly study this and say, well, there's not there's sort of a correlation, but it's not really a link. Why would they say that or why could they say it? It's because, as we know, and what you've covered before, it's not one thing necessarily. It's a combination of a number of factors. So they could have plausible deniability, say, no, that wasn't it because there's all of these factors and these factors. But it's all it all matters. But it, it, they'll use that rather than as an excuse to say, yeah, we need to clean up our acts and say, well, it's really not a factor, even though it is and maybe a minor factor in the big scheme of things. But all of those minor factors equal major factors like the LD1 plus LD1, as we've discussed before. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And that's where the awareness of the public becomes so crucial because they will be the ones that insist and mandate and, and create the shift that's necessary for that change. Because to minimize and, and minimalize these types of issues and say, ah, it's not a big deal, it's not a big deal, it's not a big deal, well, these little pennies add up into dollars and it, it causes a massive problem, just like you said with the LD1, LD1 issue. And the synergistic destructiveness and, and, and how dynamic the system is, our, the physiological system is, and how some of these things can manifest. You know, it's it's amazing that when you look at it, Robert, how resilient the body is and how well it can really deal with so much of the crap that we put into it. Yes. Into it. 
uh, it's just amazing to me that the, the machine is it is a perfect piece of machinery well we get to this point and we say all right one cause one cure right one cause one disease maybe well what about that when they can do all of these studies and deny the reality of all these carcinogens or potential carcinogens from food water and air and say well really it's not the cause and of course they do the same thing with vaccines and and yet they'll come out with a lie a bald-faced lie like the zika virus causing microcephaly uh, birth defects and have no evidence in fact the opposite they have evidence to show that it couldn't possibly be the cause because it's not present in the vast majority of these microcephaly cases which indicates it isn't the cause yeah actually when you start, the zika virus has been around for a long time they've just made it a big thing recently so how do you explain that? Well, it, it, it then suddenly it becomes, oh, yes, we found the cause. That's the irony here. And this goes back to something, again, a common theme for us here on Advanced Medicine. We talk about the virus hunters. We talk about the virologists at CDC versus the toxicologists. The virologists are granted this ability to claim that one virus causes all of those things. we got to do whatever we can to eradicate it, vaccinate against it, etc. But when it comes to the toxicologists saying, whoa, 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 Look at these factors and how they impact on cellular function, metabolic function, gene expression. No, no, no. Then it's not related. Maybe in a cursory way, but nothing that we can really bother ourselves with. But heck, it's the virus. Let's vaccinate. Let's get a drug. Yeah, and that's exactly how this problem has cascaded. I think it's interesting to recognize, though. So, Dr. Batar, if it's not power and money, I mean, what else is there? Why would this be happening? What are they after? What are they doing? Well, they got the power and they got the money. I think a lot of this has to do with things that, as we've discussed before, may be a little bit more sinister. Why would you introduce a known toxin into a child? Why would you allow things that uh, have a direct correlation with the increased incidence of cancer, like many of these chemicals that, that are well-studied and took you know, 50, 60, 70 years before uh, the, the governments of the big nations got together and said, okay, yeah, we're going to now go ahead and make a... DDT or dioxin or you know many of these other fluorinated hydrocarbons or whatever the chemicals are, we're going to make them illegal. But why did it take them 60, 70 years to do this? So, so why is it? Well, you know, is it something sinister such as um, population control? Who who knows what it is? Who knows what the motivations? I think it actually is something different, Robert. I think the par- partially there may be people that have a higher agenda, but I think part of it is also an embarrassment at this point. I think that they recognize that they lost. Um, they basically were given, uh, when I say they, I'm talking about the government and the, and the bodies that are supposed to be uh, appointed to safeguard our uh, future generations and safeguard our environments and safeguard our bodies. I think what happened was that they fell asleep at the wheel, and now it's gotten to the point of embarrassment, and they can't really go back and say, oh, we screwed up mm. because, you know, we're the government or we're the people that are supposed to be safeguarding. We're the medical community. We're the people that are supposed to be watching over your back and um, so I think at this point, it's more an embarrassment. And so they can't admit that they've screwed up. And so what's easier to do is to perpetuate the same mistake over and over again, mm. almost almost like when a child is caught in a, in a fib. And so you right. give them an opportunity to get cleaned up and, and come clean, and they don't. And they just continue with that same fib, and, and it cascades into a bigger and bigger lie. So I, I think that's pro- probably a lot it, of this. It, embarrassment and liability, perhaps. 
Yeah, liability, exactly, because they know they're going to pay the consequence, and they don't want to do that. Sure. So in this case, uh, they act like little children. Maybe their mom and dad didn't spank them as children. I don't know. And of course, the people that don't spank are going to get mad at me for saying that. But I'll put it out there for all y'all to consider, because it's talk radio, and we're in your face occasionally with real principled <laughs> discussions. <laughs> Dr. Batar, hang in there. we got one more segment uh, from tomorrow, because he is in tomorrow in New Zealand. We've got lots more healing to go. One more segment to do it in. Check it all out at medicalrewind.com and robertscottbell.com. Live around the world, the Robert Scott Bell Show. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Dr. Batari, you mentioned uh, the issue of embarrassment, and I mentioned liability as well. Uh, yesterday I covered a story, a funny story, a, a woman who wrote an interesting book about food. If it's not real food, don't eat it. And, and she had to learn the hard way because she was teaching school kids, and she had had such flatulence that she couldn't contain it, and she tried to blame it on the kids, but the kids called her out. And that's someone who was embarrassed into changing. But I think that in many of the cases, the, the medical establishment is beyond embarrassment, seemingly. They, they've gone beyond it where they don't even react like to normal human emotions. Yeah, that's probably true. Um, the, the, you know, it's interesting you talked about this book that uh, this lady wrote. I, I don't know what the name of the book is, but what, what is the name of the book? Oh, uh, let me pull it up. I apologize. I just, just had it in front of me, and I'm going get it, to get it up here again. Yeah. While you're doing that, though, it, it, that's one of the components in my chapter in the nine steps to keep the doctor away on the chapter in uh, nutrition that yes. I talk about. If God made it, it's good. If man made it, it's madness. So that's how I've kind of broken it down. Good, right? Uh, man-made madness. So it, it it follows logic, is it? Does it not? Yeah, it does. Kelly Hayford, a junk food addict turned nutritionist. In her book, if it's not food, don't eat it. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Yeah, exactly. And again, it's not it's one of the simple truths. It doesn't take um, a rocket scientist to figure it out that, well, if it's not food, you shouldn't eat it. The question is, how do we define what's food and what's not food? And this is a very common problem anywhere in the world. In fact, it doesn't matter where you are in the world. Um, there are so many things that are portrayed as food, and we think they're food because they're marketed as food. They're uh, recognized as food. Um, we, we're inundated with messages on TV mm-hmm. promoting it as food, so we eat it as food. And yet, if you leave that, that uh, I think we've talked about French fries and the Happy Meal and sat yeah. there for six years and it doesn't look like any different than it did before. Right. And even bugs won't eat it and it doesn't rot. It, it kind of tells you then it's probably not food. It's more like a uh, one of those artificial flower things that you set there. You know, they look the same after five years. Sure. It's, a, it's um, the basically the same thing as the plastic vinyl chairs you're sitting in. They don't decay. It, it, Exactly, exactly. And so so the question really comes down to how do we know what is food and what's not food? And I think the best way to to come up with this is by by looking at the ingredient list. And if you don't recognize two or more ingredients, don't eat it. Um, That's not to say that not everything that's uh, that everything that's being marketed is not food necessarily, because there may be certain components that are remnants of food or or, or food like. Sure. But there are other things that are not. But you know, my aunt and I were talking about this actually just yesterday about the fruit. So you go to a grocery food store place here in, in New Zealand, for example, and they have these perfectly uh, contoured and colored uh, tomatoes or apples, and she won't get any of those. But then when I get the stuff from, for example, she had plums that had gotten they gotten from the store. But then she also has a plum tree that just came into fruit, and these plums are not as regular. 
Um, you know, there's a little bit of blemish here and there in the skin, but my God, do they taste delicious compared to the store-bought stuff. It's, it's perfectly looking, but it's, it's devoid. It doesn't taste nearly as good. It doesn't taste as sweet. It's mm-hmm. not as rich. There's something off it that's, that's, there's something that's missing. Yes. And when I asked my aunt, I said, where, why do these ones don't taste the same as those? I didn't know that, I thought they were all from a garden. And she said, well, these were bought at the store. I said, well, why did you buy these from the store? And she said, well, I actually bought them before you arrived, but because I, I didn't know the tree was going to bloom that fast and, and the fruit's already ready, so it's perfect. So here's perfection looking, you know, mm. we, we, we get marketed uh, food by the way our eyes register them and they know that it's that appeal. But we don't it's use not, the other senses. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. No, that's, that's, that's a brilliant, thing. brilliant uh, thing to think because I think just raising the question, how do we define food anymore? That to me, I mean, we could do 24 hours of showtime on that subject alone and we're almost out of time but the idea here of defining food like when we say organic food and then we say well our great grandparents used to call it food <laughs> you know we had to make right. distinctions and it, it, it's hard because we grew up our you know our era we're the same age dr batar and we grew up and it was a complete transition from what was food to what we had to differentiate between food grown synthetically and food grown the way grandma and grandpa grew it at the time and the way all food was grown and it's not the same so you can't assume because it looks like food that it actually is that, that's exactly right robert and we have to just remember that we have to the definition of food is up to us we have to define mm-hmm. what it is we for ourselves each person is going to have a different definition and at the whatever you are more likely to accept as food i think there's a direct correlation with how healthy you'll be meaning if nice. you have a wider um wider definition of food you will have a longer and harder consequence that you'll have to face later on in life yeah interesting well Great way to uh, wrap up Advanced Medicine today, Dr. Batar. We've got a lot more healing to go. No more time to do it in. But remember, folks, the power to heal and eat real food is yours. The Robert Scott Bell Show.